Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, Albert, we are back again. It is great to see you. And we have some special guests here today with a special announcement. And I'm even not sure if they need any intros, but they've, they've been good friends of our show. And uh, let me let you take it away. I know you're excited to, to share the news. Well, I've been keeping a little bit of a secret uh, in our chats. Neil has been, Neil Barrett of Standard and Strange has been uh, telling us, uh, telling me what's been going on behind the scenes. And we're, we're pretty much getting ready to, to, to tell you some very exciting news. And I'm just going to turn it over to, uh, to Neil and his partner, uh, Jeremy Smith. And they're going to tell you in their very own words, the very big moment in the history of the store that's coming your way. Okay, gents, one of you guys just jump in and tell them. Yeah, the big news is that we just opened our third location in New York City, in Nolita, on Mulberry Street, on an excellent block there. We are just south of Prince, and address is 238 Mulberry. We are incredibly excited about this. We've poured a lot of time and energy into selecting the location and doing a build out there. And we're pretty happy with how everything came together. Yeah, we're excited for you. That is awesome. I mean, store number three, that is super rad. We're all very excited for you. And uh, I'm just stoked because now I'll actually be able to walk in and, and to see it. I don't have to <laughs> go halfway across the country. <laughs> so that's great news for us East Coasters. So so just give us a little bit of background. Like how did this particular spot in beautiful uh, New York City catch your fancy? Well, that was... A lo- it's actually not that long of a story, really. I was out in New York doing some other work last year and saw the city coming back to life. Even, you know, we're, it was at that point, we're only like six to eight months into, into lockdowns from COVID. But I saw a lot of potential out there. And when we we're, you know, one of the things we do all the time is we talk about what is the future standard and strange, you know, keep the, you know, our hopes and dreams communications open about what we want the business to look like. And, you know, during COVID, we're like, well, we don't know what's going to happen pre-election. We're like, we don't know what's going to happen. And we made plan- contingency plans really for almost any scenario. And the everything goes okay scenario was we should take advantage of this incredible sale that's being put on retail. Like retail rents are cheaper than they've been for the last 20 years. You know, we threw a few cities around, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you're going to go to the work of opening a store, of finding a location, you know, if you're, I'm not talking about if you're like rag and bone and you have a giant team that can just go scout and build. But if, you know, you're two guys, it's like that much work, you might as well do it right. You might as well do it in the biggest market in the country. You know, we really believed in New York as a retail city, as someplace that people go out to buy things don't just have everything delivered. So start getting on airplanes in March, I think, meeting with brokers, looking at spaces. And the funny thing is the first space that we came out to look at was the one we took, but only after four months of hard work. You mentioned like having this vision and, and being able to kind of see this space uh, and and the communication between uh, you and Neil, like, how do you two like cultivate that that vision and, and creativity um, for your store, your brand, and and what comes next? That's really interesting that that you said that. 
it's a lot of discussion and a lot of communication is what that comes down to. Like, it really comes down to like, what do we both want? What does the other person want? What is the, what is, and like, where is there a gap between those two things? And there ends up just being a lot of understanding of each other, a lot of discussing it, and sometimes some compromise too. Like originally, I wasn't so sure that we should open a third retail store because I was very pessimistic about just the pandemic and everything. And uh, this was before the election too. I I was really down on the the future of the world. Um, but as Jeremy and I just sort of, I had to like re realize that what we do best is in-person service, the in-person experience, like for what we do, you have, you have to touch it. You have to feel it. You have to try it on and be able to have that experience of working with Jen or Elliot or, or, you know, any of any of the team here, like that's what really makes it special because we're all about building are just building relationships with people just one at a time. And it's, you can do that online, but it's, it's so different. And there ends up just being this disconnect and communication and everything. Like, it's not the same. It's like the difference between hanging out with your friends uh, in person at a bar or doing it over zoom. Yeah. We could just like stop with the zoom. I think we're all pretty much over that. Uh, Regarding physical retail, Something that doesn't come up a lot in shop lore, but we weren't online when we opened. We opened in 2012 and we were like, we're going to master in store, like being brick and mortar, how to build relationships, how to build a welcoming, friendly atmosphere. Because we wanted to be a place where you can come in, you feel at home, you feel comfortable. And, you know, you, it's just like a third place for people to go if you, you know, subscribe to the idea of a third place and building our chops that way, when we went online, let us transfer a lot of that personality from in store to online, but it still means that in our hearts and at our core, we are a brick and mortar company and we care about the in-store experience. And I've been fielding other questions about this from other people. And one of the things that came up is when I was writing about it, the technologies, the tools and technology available to e-commerce people, it's all oriented around speed of transaction and not relationship. Even the relationship tools, they're all about just getting a product in someone's pocket and pushing them out the virtual door. It's like, get them in, get them out, take their money. It's never so much about having a relationship. We're assuming... um because we, a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are people who are already familiar with the story. You guys have been supporting the podcast really the, the past season. Neil's been on the show a, num- a number of times, but just really quickly, if you don't mind, for someone who's never set foot in your store, uh, if you telling someone on the elevator what kind of stuff standard and strange sells, you guys are um, primarily a men's store and you're selling... A, a, a primary group of products is like, what is your very, very quick shorthand for someone who doesn't really know the store to say what you guys, what you guys offer. So I'll go first and then Neil can give his pitch. We don't say menswear anymore. We don't say men's it's for anyone, everyone. 
but it's just really the best and rarest in leather, denim, and boots. That's our core focus. And then the greater focus is well-crafted goods with great people behind them. Yeah, the, the way I describe it is the concept is Americana style, reinterpreted around the world and all the various permutations of Americana style. So we have like Japanese reproduction of like vintage military and like vintage motorcycle jackets all the way to like an Italian brand that will remix Italian style with traditional Ivy style. And then like, there's a, there's a Indigo Ferro with the Swedes doing their whole version of that too. And that's the sort of the common thread that runs through it. But it's also, we only sell the best stuff. There's a huge focus on quality with it. We work with rare, with small brands. We specialize in rare goods, things that are just really special. Yeah, it's a great summary. It's very concise. Um, You know, we, given what we do as a show, uh, we want to kind of dial down a little bit into the dynamics of a relationship uh, that goes into building a business. Um, When I started my own business, uh, 20 years ago, um, I really put a lot of a lot of thought into what uh, uh, was needed. I kind of knew from the beginning that I didn't want to start my my new business with me as the only boss, so to speak. And I'm just wondering, did did you ever have a question when you started working together? Um, hey, I I might want to do this entirely on my own. Or did you get a feeling when you started, like, hey, this will be a lot more fun if I have a partner in this in this enterprise? You know, the enterprise came together. Standard Strange came from the company we started before that, that I had tried to start solo and it just, it wasn't going. It's really hard to start an apparel business by yourself and do everything by yourself. And it's just also a lot less fun to be doing it all alone. And if you look around the landscape, I'd say, which I'm not really sure what the split is, but, you know, a lot of shops like ours are run solo, but also a bunch of, you know, our partnerships or, you know, they're quiet partnerships where it's like husband, wife, team kind of thing. Yeah, I'd say the odds are just stacked against you if it's you're just going at it alone. There's just an insurmountable amount of work and decisions that you have to make. and you're, you're going to, it's so much more difficult to get your momentum going if you're just going at it alone. But you also, what I realized is that there's a huge, just sort of like emotional support benefit of having another person in the trenches with you. And so much of running your own business is just like battling your own mind. Right. Yeah. And, this wasn't my first business either. And I'd done a bunch of solo businesses and yeah, a lot of it is you versus you. And, you know, it's very hard to see everything when it's just one pair of eyes. Like you can't really see the threat. You can't really see your weaknesses. If it's just you out there doing it, you know, I lost one business because I just didn't see a huge strategic gap. Just completely missed it. Lost the whole business million in bookings to zero in two months. Well, it seems like it's a very dynamic relationship. There are quite a few, you know, aspects to to this partnership and it's grown and evolved and has an intense customer focus. But 
with with that kind of developing a relationship like how did you develop that between the two of you was that a big part of the the business plan or was that something that kind of happened as the business was growing i think we we'd been friends for a couple of years before we got started but not like super tight friends like we'd ride bikes together hang out but we were part of the same friend group but it was never like baked into the business plan like that was just like a consequence of choosing to do this together. It really was a situation where we both just said, fuck it, let's try it. <laughs> it that's really what it was. <laughs> like we're, yeah. we, we were both a little bit bored with our day jobs. Like, let's try this. Like, you know, it could be a lot of fun. And we really had, didn't have a, we had no idea what we were in, were in for. We had no idea both in just like the struggles of getting started with the cycling clothing company and what that all entailed. And then our sort of like unexpected pivot to doing a clothing store. Um, and that's really sort of what, like a lot of these businesses or these big, like long-term projects you do is you have an idea of what they're going to be up front, but it just naturally just organically grows and changes and morphs into something else. Well, we know the title of the episode will be "Fuck It, Let's Try It." <laughs> <laughs> it's really what it was. No, it's really funny you say it because I, I just remember when we started our company, we did not do massive amounts of business plans, and at a certain point, there's something really kind of uh, liberating and exhilarating, just kind of realizing that ultimately, what's going to be the test of your success is. A lot of it's kind of ephemeral things that you can't actually put into words. It's hustle, it's confidence, it's uh, resilience, all those things that are very hard to put that actually down onto a business, on a piece of paper, on a business plan. So I I really like, I really relate to what you said there, Neil. I think a lot of our pivotal moments have always been, fuck it, let's try it. So starting the first, starting the cycling company was, fuck it, let's try it you know, running out of money and deciding we're going to throw our last few dollars into trying to open a retail store. Again, it was like, well, we can, you know, each take our $2,000 and go home or let's roll the dice one more time. And then when we moved into our larger space in Oakland, the one I'm sitting in right now, it was again, a case of like, well, what do we got to lose? You know, it's like, fuck it, let's try it. And, you know, a lot of our best brands we've brought in have been, it hasn't, our best brand acquisitions haven't really been about like super strategic value. It's been like, well, why not, you know, why not go for the, go for the best and see what traction it gets with our customers. And so far that experiment has turned actually turned into a core operating principle which is is the thing we're buying the best of its kind if not then we probably shouldn't put it in here yeah in doing what we do your sense of your appetite for risk gets really warped when like we're buying inventory six to eight months in advance like we have to order colors and sizes and quantities of something we have no idea how it's going to sell six to eight months in advance. And like when we get it, for most of the brands we sell, if they like, we have to keep it. We can't return it. We can't swap it out. You know, like so that like the stakes are pretty high and we have to do this two or three times a year when we do like our seasonal buying. (laughs) And I think it kind of, 
you end up just like being willing, more willing to say, fuck it, let's try it. Um, I, th- I think at this point now we've got some more experience under our belts and like a better gut feeling for it and a better eye for things. But there's always this, um, just this like level of unknown risk that you're taking on that you just have to be comfortable stomaching. The risks aren't mitigated by like what the market's doing or what you're being shown at the trade shows. One season, I'll never ever fucking forget this. We got burned by following trend. And I remember going to New York, going to, Mar- um, I think it was still capsule at that point. And it was bucket hats, bombers, and burgundy. Like those were the dominant trends. Like they burgundy had been reintroduced as a color for men again. You know, like it happens every 15, 20 years. Um, and then bombers and buckets were everywhere. And we bought in and nothing we bought that was burgundy sold. We had a stack of goddamn bucket hats in the store that moved into the new store and just kind of sat there in this cloth bin and slowly sold over time. And, you know, eventually like went to staff and got sold for $10 and like all the bombers got marked down. It was just like carnage. And that was like the learning point of, Hey, maybe the collective intelligence of the market, you know, the so-called market is not better than us. Just like buying things that we like and want to wear. Yeah, we we kind of banned bucket hats from our store for a good five or six years. Not people coming in wearing them, but like us buying them to try to sell. <laughs> it's like, even if it's the coolest bucket hat ever, it's just like we have those scars and, you know, I have a couple of them hanging in my front hall and I see them. I'm like, fuck you, bucket hat. Just Well, the phrase bucket hat doesn't exactly hate you. exude confidence. And, and, and they're not bad. Like, they're not a bad item. They're like a great... You know, they're, they've never not been in that staple category. It's just the push was so hard and the failure was so big that, it you know, you put your hand on the stove and you get burned. You learn not to do that. So do you guys have to agree on every single thing that you bring in or do you? No, we'll fight about it. <laughs> there, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of compromise in the buying. There's a lot of push and pull. And now that we've got three stores, we have totally different buying strategies for each location too. And, you know, their stakes are a lot higher when all of a sudden we're buying, you know, when we're buying for three stores, the numbers are so much bigger Four stores really with online. It's like, you know, you're not buying 18 of something you're buying 72 and you'd better be damn sure that you're going to sell, you know, at least 65 or whatever of those things at full price. Or if it's, you know, real McCoys or something, all of it is going to move at full price. Yeah. There's a lot of brands that we sell where just due to our dealer agreement with them, they can never go on sale. And that's like a strategy that stores will use. If they have something that moves slow, they'll put it on discount, right. To encourage people to buy it because everyone loves the deal. But some of these brands, like we can never do that. So when we're doing our buying, it feels like the major leagues, like you can't fuck this up. <laughs> I want to talk I want to talk a little bit about the idea of, I mean, do men suddenly actually care about what they wear? Has that really actually a little bit of a sea change in our culture that's going on? I, I, I talk, it seems like uh, there, we go through uh, you know, like s- fluctuations where men are more or less concerned about their, their, uh, 
how what they uh, buy their clothing. I mean, there's just amazing. It always amazes me how many people I meet just are like, it's a pair of jeans and a pair of sneakers and I don't care. And I don't think about any of the details. It seems like that, that is changing a bit. And it seems like there's a little bit of an evolution going on. I'm just wondering, do you think, do you, do you feel that? Do you mm. see that yourself? I have no idea. Ha- My, uh, I'll be my, honest, I have no clue. <laughs> I've been into clothes a lot longer. Um, I mean, basically forever. And I think it's not so much as um, an issue of men want wanting to be or being, you know, like it's, are they allowed to? And the society's permissiveness towards men's dress comes and goes. So if you look historically all the way back, you've got dandies you've got you know the victorian era and there's eras where it's more permissible for men to dress in more exciting more interesting ways to care about their clothing there's eras where it isn't and i'm sure there's some deeper study on that you know looking at other economic and social trends but i think men have always cared but haven't always been able to express it And one of the things that's nice about what we sell is you can quietly care about what you're wearing. Nobody needs to know that your jeans are 300 bucks and made, you know, made by Japanese artisans, right? So you can scratch that itch of caring about your clothes without being too public about it. So when the pandemic hit, how dramatically did your change, your, your business change and how deep did the did the disruption go? And did you guys wonder what was going to happen to the store? Um, so the first month we were massacred. Like it was, nobody bought anything. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It was just awful. And we were questioning, well, what's going to happen? Like, how are we going to, how are we going to wind down our business? is what we were thinking. Like, how are we going to get out of this with some money intact to go start the next thing? And then just somehow miraculously, people just really wanted to spend money on things that they really cared about. And would come, you know, it turned into a situation where people weren't going to Uniqlo, they weren't going to the mall, they weren't buying 10 shitty things, they're buying one good thing and putting that money into businesses like ours. And we've heard from every shop owner, like in our kind of niche, in our category, same thing. It's like people really started caring about what they were buying. You have more time to spend comparing and shopping online. And people are um, not just blowing their entire, their entire discretionary income on random purchases at the mall, but becoming more selective about what they bought. And you know, I think I said earlier on, one of the things that led to New York opening was us being in deep, constant communication about what our strategies, you know, multiple strategies would be for every scenario going through the pandemic. Yeah, I I think another big part of that was that people really reassessed where they're spending their money, what they're buying and why they're buying it and who they're buying it from. And like early in the lockdown, you know, there was all these things in the news of the grocery stores and all these large companies that were really kind of screwing over their workers, especially the essential workers, where they were getting dealt a really shitty hand. 
even when, you know, like grocery stores were having record business and they didn't want to pay their workers hazard pay. And I think this, a lot of this comes back, like why we did pretty well during the pan or why we did pretty well last year was that it was about the relationships that we had built over this time period. People weren't just coming to us to buy things so they could not be naked. They came for the experience and the quality of the things that we sell and just the whole package that you get. And they were really conscious of, I want these guys to, to stay, I want standard and strange to, to stick around. So I'm going to support them. And I think that was a real strength of ours because you saw all these larger like mass market retail just got clobbered for a lot of reasons. But I think a big part of it is that there was no loyalty to them. People didn't really, they just saw it as a, a place where they could buy stuff and leave. Yeah. No actual connection. There's no, there's no meaningful connection with it and either to the product or just their whole experience. I have to say as, as an observer, I felt like you guys also understood the need to be creative and colorful and tell funny stories at a very, very harrowing time. I mean, you guys really did introduce an incredibly colorful and fun marketing campaign through Instagram, at least. I'm not sure how it was manifested in other areas, but people were really sharing and, and getting a kick out of these funny photos of people during lockdown. No, I mean, I felt like you really built deep loyalty by saying, hey, we're, we are vulnerable. We're all freaking out just like you. And instead of putting you know, perfect images up of people who look like they'll never be touched by the pandemic. You're like, okay, no, these are people who are like flipping out. We're just going to put on our, our clothes and just be a little weird. I, I felt like that's when I started really getting deeply connected in a certain way with what the store was doing. Yeah. The lockdown portraits were so much fun. And, you know, we sort of like how Jeremy and I like just how we interact with each other and how we run the business is this big thread that runs through it is just, there's no bullshit. We don't like, we don't like being bullshitted. We don't like bullshitting people. We'll give it to you straight. And yeah, during the pandemic, it was, yeah, everything is fucked up. (laughs) It's a mess. Like, but let's have some fun. And you know, the, the lockdown portraits, those were, you know, that was an idea. I was just like, look, like, cause we, we closed the, or retail stores and we were operating Oakland as basically a warehouse, but we had all this space that we had created to where I could set up a little photo studio. And it was just like the monotony of just going in day in, day out, just being at a desk all day, not being able to interact with people in person and see people and see their faces and talk to them. It got just a little grating after a while. And I was like, why don't we just have some imagination? There's, there's a lack of imagination here. Like, let's have some fun. Like, we all have huge personalities that are also different. And we got a store full of clothes. Like, let's do something fun. And they turned out really well. I got great at lighting in Photoshop. I had a, I had a backyard hang, uh, you know, socially distanced hang in my backyard up here in the Hudson Valley. And three of my guests showed up in Standard and Strange pandemic tour uh, shirts. And I'm like, I missed the memo. Like, I am the only person who don't does. I, Adam, I think you might have even had one at one yeah, point. I got one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that. <laughs> you know, that shirt, that was the most insane sales day we have ever seen. The velocity. <laughs> that was the day I turned off Shopify alerts on my phone. 
Yeah. So the quarantine pandemic shirt was this wild idea I had um, just of like the Sukajan, which is like the souvenir jazz. Okay. So more explaining. Sukajan is a jampa. It's a jacket that is made in Yoksuka in Japan. And during World War II, soldiers and into the Korean War, because a lot of people were based there during Korea, um, would get these jackets embroidered with like their tour of duty on the back, like where they were in Korea or Japan. You see them for Alaska, you see them from all kinds of places. Very recognizable motif. It's like outline of a country or like a dragon or something, and then a list of places you've been on them. And then I was like, well, okay, so what's the tour of duty for COVID? It's not like we're going to the front lines. The front lines is home. So I sketched this shitty thing out on a piece of paper and I showed it to Neil. I'm like, what if I have my partner draw and my wife draw this and we put it on a shirt? And he's like, I don't know. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I have my wife do it anyway. And it came out just, they did it in like an hour. It was insane. Like, Yeah, because we had... We had like home, basement, grocery store. Those were the t- like the places yeah. we had been. And <laughs> it was like pandemic babe. Yeah. And it came, yeah, the artwork came together in like eight hours. It was just like an insane production cycle. And we put it up and it just didn't stop selling. Well, well, hold up, hold up though. We're missing the whole point of the tea too. Is that so we we had had these we had made some, some store brand t-shirts and we had a bunch of them sitting around that hadn't sold. And we really wanted to like find ways to really support our staff and pay them more money. But, you know, this was like in the middle of lockdown, like we had no clue what was going to happen with our business. So we wanted to find a really kind of efficient way to do it. So we had these t-shirts and we had already made them and paid for them. So what we did is we printed them with, this fantastic design that Jeremy's that Jeremy's wife made. And it was all of the proceeds of the teas went to the staff as a bonus. Like Jeremy and I didn't get anything from it. It was all purely just to support our team and give them some more money and like find an efficient way to do that. And I think that just really resonated with people. And when we launched it, like both Jeremy and I had to turn off new order notifications on our phones because it got ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, that was a big part of me getting it. it was like it's it's for the crew so it's like it was that and it just literally cracked me up like every time i see it i laugh because it's just so funny like this is just encapsulated what the pandemic was just hanging around your house going to the same places all the time so yeah i'm i'm a big fan of that shirt and i wanted it to be fun too because i'd seen so many covid like printed shirts or whatever and it's like i don't really love printed tea like topical printed teas because they just there's nowhere they can go at the end of the topic but this is something that is like this is a design that you're going to be wearing for the rest of your life until the tea wears itself to threads and but so many of the designs were so dark like and so like apocalyptic about it you know six feet apart or six feet under stuff like that and i was like you just have some fun with this you know, it's a terrible time. And like, let's talk about the other side of the experience. Well, you talked about inventiveness and imagination. I mean, that's exactly what was needed at that time. And just, I love the idea of pairing what, you know, it's clothing is it has a functional side, but functional things also touch our lives 
and our imaginations and our uh, in in ways that we don't quite realize. So you guys managed to make that connection and make what we were going through as an experience related to our clothes. I mean, you you connected it to what you guys were doing, sharing your uh, what you do and what you guys are passionate about. And it, I'm not sure one led to the other, but suddenly you guys were also very, it seemed, seemed extremely active in doing a lot of fundraising for important causes that you care about. And, you know, I'm just wondering, was that always part of your, uh, part of your uh, mission and mandate at the store? Or was that something that really came along as an outgrowth of what you were trying to do to help the staff out? It came along as an, I mean, we'd always wanted to get to the point where we felt like we could afford to do good. You know, like when you feel like you can start giving money away and some of what happened was, we did the charity tea and they're like, well, what else can we do? How else can we help? And, you know, the summer of 2020, like early 2020, summer 2020 was awful in terms of everything else happening in society at the same time. And we're like, well, we can do more. We can afford to do more. And that's what led to, you know, our ongoing giving campaign. Like we've committed 2% of our revenue goes out the door to various causes, you know, social equity, um, we give a lot of money to food banks. It's like, it's all listed on the website, a lot, very long list to try to dive into, but it was like, now's the time to lean into giving back. We can afford it. You know, we can pay our staff. We can take 2% off the top and still pay everyone well and still survive. And the more we leaned into it, the better we, we did with it is the other thing. Like the more we pushed that message and the more we leaned into giving, um, the more money we had to give, if that makes sense. Yeah. It was just a, a thing that we were before the pandemic, we were never really sure how much of our personal values we should express through the business. Like, should we take a stance on this? Should we not? We were just, weren't just very confident about it. And then once just, the carnage of the pandemic became happened. This was another moment when we just kind of said, fuck it, let's do it. We think it's the right thing to do. It's what we want to do. And we started talking more about our political viewpoints and really integrating that with like how our business was operated. And it was a little, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. Um, but it just, it was true to us. It was true to what, like who we are. And it just felt like the right thing to do. So we did it. And we thought it was super important. You know, as we saw our sales increase for a few months, it was like, well, we should give some of this money to food banks. Cause there's people out there who are nowhere near as lucky as us. And we didn't grow to get to where we are in a vacuum you know, we, we have, we've been supported by the communities that we're a part of. And it's just, we have to, we have to, we have to help out. We have to get back. Right. Is what Mr. Rogers said. I was like, always look for the helpers. That was something I kept. It was always in the back of my mind. And I, we just made damn sure that we were one of the helpers. Yeah. And there was a lot of like, a lot of this came from our staff pushing to saying, Hey, we can do better. We can do more. What, what can we do as a business? And we listened to them and, um, you know, 
taking care of our staff as well as taking care of those around us in the community turned into part of our operating model. So um, another, another thing we did last year is two of our staff had their catalytic converters stolen within, God, was it like a month of each other? It's all blurred at this point, but we we're just like, okay, well, we'll pay for that. That's how you get to work. That's a work expense. We got it. And um, one of them, you know, got it serviced right away. And the other one, the catalytic converter turned out to be worth more than the car. Like the repairs would be worth more than the car. Um, so we just set that money aside. And then when the replacement car blew up this year, we're like, well, we still have money from catalytic converter. So here you go fix that up and, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah. We made an oh shit fund for the staff that was just like a no questions asked, like when life happens and you're in a tight spot, we've got your back. And we're always asking like, how can we put more money or more benefits or more time into our staff's hands? Like, you know, we're not where we want to be yet in terms of pay, but we're, we've managed to give them a lot of raises and a lot of bonuses and I think for our category, we're paying our staff extremely well. Yeah, that's my favorite thing to do is to give people raises. Yeah, we just... Uh, it truly is. <laughs> and yeah, there's, you know, there's a number we're working towards and you know, hopefully we get there. But it's, you know, without our staff, it's like we don't have business. I have to just say it was really a little bit like watching... Uh, a TV show that was blowing up, um, you know, suddenly I, I really felt a lot of um, just watching a lot of energy was going into talking about what you guys were doing with those campaigns. I remember, I can't remember what the specific promotion was, Jer um, Neil, but there, I just remember being on a group Instagram live thing when you were announcing the winner and there was like a massive amount of people doing it. And I'm just like, they these guys trusted their gut and they just did the right thing as they saw it and look at the result everybody's everybody's psyched to be supporting this of course everybody wanted the prizes because that was a really good that was a really good promotion i remember that i want i like i want this thing and then i had a credit card glitch and i've been donating to some they they took my number twice and i've been donating to some new mexican uh foundation since twice a month uh, but anyway, I was just like so glad to do it. Like these guys are putting their 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 neck on the line. So it is good to know uh, when you follow your heart and and do something that right. That's not you know the classic thing is to say ah oh, that's for suckers. You know being being a good guy's uh, being a sucker, and it's not. You know you're gathering around you people who are loyal and and building that community. And I, I you really swept me up on that. It really changed my perception of what was possible. Um, in, in this field, uh, you know, I'm in the music field, you know, where I promote art music. So there's all kinds of highfalutin, hoity-toity, uh, um, uh, ethics and morals and all kinds of spiritual things that get tossed around. But with, with retail, it can be a little bit sort of just, yeah, just sell the stuff. Like, don't talk about it. Don't get in, don't get too, uh, colorful about it. And even some people saying it's like the kiss of death. Don't ever talk politics or social issues. So I, I really commend you guys for having the, the courage. A couple of things on that front. On the courage front, I took on frontline work on answering the angry emails that would come in, um, you know, from, custom, from would be 
customers who are upset by us exposing our personal politics. I burned out on that. Now we just don't answer that shit. But, you know, for the first six months, I answered every angry email um, that came in, people telling us to stay in our lane. Stay in um, your lane. And I was like, no, this is our lane because you know what? Do you know who delivers your packages? Do you know whose hands touched everything that you, you know, it's like you either support everybody or you support nobody. And um, clothing is inherently political. Even if you just want your damn boots and your jeans to ride your ride your motorcycle in North Carolina, or that nutcase was from, um, <laughs> we spectacularly fired one customer. Um, he was a diehard Wesco boot aficionado and hard, hard right wing guy. And he came after me incredibly hard when we donated a bunch of money to BLM, to Black Lives Matter. Yeah, he just got really abusive too. Like, it's not like we ended up firing him for his political views. Yeah. He was just like insulting us and saying swears and using slurs and things like that. Yeah, he definitely, he went overboard in just about every direction in slurs and cursing. Although I do couple things he said that i absolutely fucking love were calling us a bunch of smooth brains and a bunch of mutant fanboys and <laughs> i was like yeah Three, i will some, i love smooth great my brain a now, burns let's keep that thing Three slick and shiny mutant fanboys oh my god yeah the how the charity raffles came up about too was i was trying to just think of ways that we could use our platform to raise more money and so I called up a few of our brands and said, look, I got this idea. It's not an original idea, but like we do like a raffle, but the ticket entry is you just donate X number of dollars to a charity. And then we keep track of it and figure it out. And then we, we award prizes. And so like we would pay for some of the prizes. Some of our brands would donate the prizes and we just, just said, screw it. Let's try it. And the first one we did, we, like on whatever we spent, whatever the inventory cost was, like we raised so much more money for charity than like what it actually cost the people who were paying for the inventory. And I realized that like, there was really something to this. Like we should, we should do more of these. And so then our next one, you know, I was like, well, let's go big or go home. Let's actually make this like a really good prize. And I think like the grand prize was like a, pair of boots, a pair of jeans, a leather jacket, a shirt and a t-shirt, like a full complete outfit. I, I wanted and that prize so bad, like Neil. Wildly successful. I mean, we, we had other prizes too. I was like, Neil's my buddy. Um, Maybe he's going to pick me. And I was like, no, he didn't. I'm a hey, it's the random number generator. I know you were fabulous. You were fabulous it. at it. It was fantastic. I remember it was a really, really cold day. We were having worked on our house. We had to light a fire just to like to survive. It was a frigid, cold day, and our heating was out. And I was sitting there at that fireplace watching Neil do his thing. I was like, "This is this is a guy who's really inspired. This is a guy who's really making the most of the moment." Um, I'm a New Yorker. The city and its future is really on everybody's brain in a big way. I had my brother-in-law visiting me, and he's really beating the drum on the idea of everybody go back to your office. We need people in offices. We need people in the city going out to lunch, supporting um, restaurants. Uh, you know, just let's get the city going. 
And I just want to uh, just say, like, uh, I mean, you guys said there were some opportunities that come into New York because retail prices uh, for you know commercial spaces were uh, reachable now. But there must have been some serious trepidation to overcome. It's a big, it's a big uh, decision to to open a store right now in a in a time where there is still a lot of uncertainty. Um, what pushed you over that over that line to go? This is it. We're pulling. We're going to pull it. We're going to do it. We went and we looked, went to go see. It was like for months, you know, for months we looked. We, but what I mean, the first trip we knew we were going to do it. We didn't know where, but the first time we came to New York with eyes open for this and looked around and saw the green shoots coming and, you know, things getting back to, I'm not going to say normal, but seeing people out and about and wanting, human interaction like we provide but like this is you know that answers the question of should we be here now we got to do the work of where should we be and that was some hard fucking work like um i so many murder basements um we looked at so many of them like i've become obsessed with tracking my health data because my dad died of a heart of heart failure and you know so i'm like how many miles we walk how many miles we walk and one day was 18 or sorry it was 15 three mile run in the morning 18 and uh, 15 miles of walking at the end of the day and i was like okay <laughs> every single block in soho just like up and down yeah a, a, a big challenge was finding where to go based on what was available but it was also who we were working with on the landlord end and we got pretty close to signing the lease early in the summer and we got into negotiations and the landlord sort of exposed themselves to who they really are. And we saw it and it was, they were of the uh, fuck you pay me variant of New Yorkers. Like they blew the deal up over nothing. Yeah, but like there's the terms of the lease were really, really restrictive. And if we had to leave because it didn't work out, we would have to pay them an absurd amount of money. And it just, it was really scary. And so we walked away from it for a few reasons. But the biggest reason was we just didn't trust them. And we didn't want to basically be in partnership with them because a, a good or a bad landlord can really affect your business. And then the space that we're in now the landlord is a normal, reasonable, kind, generous human. Like, and he's the type of the like the type of person that we want to work with. He's like us, and I feel like we we got really lucky. And we found a gem of a location, a gem of a space, and a gem of a landlord to work with. Like we've we hired the building super to handle most of our construction here on referral from the landlord and. After a few weeks go by, the super is amazing. I call the landlord and say, hey, thanks for the referral. This guy's top notch. And he says, you know, Neil, Fabian has been working for me for 20 years. He's made my life so easy that when his teenage son figures out what he's going to do for college, I'm paying for it. And that just really, it just floored me. And I'm so happy that like we're working with people like that, you know, because 
that's how you get through challenges. That's how how you make things work in a city that's as tough as this. You heard it here first, America. Neil has extolled the virtues of landlords. <laughs> but this particular landlord, <laughs> well, this particular thing. landlord, this particular he's landlord. great. I know what it's like, you yeah. know, because people are always railing on PR people. And so I get, I hear I'm the butt of a lot of nasty jokes. But, uh, you know, there, there are individuals and you got one of the good ones. And and let's give that that, that man a shout out. Now, he called me last week and said, oh, I, I stopped by the store and you weren't there. And I just wanted to call and say, it looks beautiful. I love what you've done with this space. You're going to have a great store. And I bet he's going to have some great clothing. Like, who, who, what, right what kind of landlord does that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, A nice like, one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. You guys uh, have this amazing space. I mean, it's been so much work that's been happening. Now that you're open, uh, what what can your average uh, New Yorker expect when they walk through your doors? Like, what what kind of experience are you looking to deliver to them? Wow, this is where I gotta I gotta I gotta be creative here, Adam. Oh, I mean, here, here's <laughs> <laughs> give me a second, oh, Jeremy. Why don't you? Yeah, I mean, what we're gonna deliver, you know, it, it's what we do everywhere. It's like. I don't care if you buy anything, like just come in, have a look, hang out, talk to us, talk about dope shit. Like that's what we want is somewhere you come in, you're comfortable. And what's really important to us is that we are, you know, ignoring the question of pricing, accessible and available people, you know, you come in, and you have questions, why are these jeans $300? Instead of just shouting at you and chasing you out the door, we'll tell you what went into making them. You know, pick up a pair of handmade boots, we'll tell you what went into making those boots. And, you know, we're not going to bully you into buying something over it, be, you know, just telling you it's the best. We go places, we see how things are made. We understand what we sell and want to share that. So, you know, you walk in, you're going to be greeted. You're going to have a nice time looking at good product. And, you know, if you have questions, they're going to get answered. And that's really a lot of it. On the product end, it's going to be a little chaotic because we cobbled together this at basically with no notice to our brands. Because uh, we didn't want to book a whole bunch of orders for a store without having a lease signed, you know, and we ordered... For this season, the deliveries we're getting right now, we ordered this in January and February. So I spent two weeks in a maze of Excel spreadsheets figuring out what do we have that I can take for New York? What do we have coming that I can take? And what can I get on short notice? And we'll have a pretty damn good selection of leather jackets, denim, boots. Uh, we're going to have a lot of stuff from Freenote. Um, but it's going to be at this point in time, we don't have any new brands uh, that aren't at our Oakland store or Santa Fe store, but it's going to feel a lot like uh, our Oakland store, which is what we wanted to do here. Um, Santa Fe is where we get weird uh, and a little bit more experimental and it's a lot of fun, uh, but it works really well in Santa Fe. And I don't really know how well it's going to work out here. Uh the other exciting thing is I'm moving to New York to run the New York store. So um, by the time this airs, I will either have an apartment sorted out or I will not. But I guess I'll, I'll give you two versions. Um, you know, it's like 
like I've moved here and I've just moved to the city and it's fantastic. Um, or I will move here and I'm still looking for a place, but I am living on the floor of the shop. I, I do hope you wind up being my neighbor, Neil. I know you were taking a look at the Upper West Side. No, so Albert, we like I'm not. I stopped my search. I'm waiting until I get a yes or no back from this place because <laughs> I want I want to get this in one shot. I do want to say, I mean, to anybody out there who's not been to New York in a while, obviously a lot of people haven't. They haven't traveled. This neighborhood on um, that you're in, Mulberry Street. The num- what's the number of the store again? 238 Mulberry Street, it's between Spring and Prince in Nolita, which is in between Soho and the Lower East Side. So we're right downtown. I mean, really, truly, it's one of those magical neighborhoods where it's almost impossible to not have a beautiful time. There are great stores. There are a really wonderful mix of people, great restaurants, great bars. So coming there is going to be a real full experience. You're going to want to hang in the neighborhood. It's not like you're just going to want to pop into the store and then go home. You're going to want to be down there in that neighborhood. So it's going to be really exciting for you guys to be part of one of the great neighborhoods of New York. Yeah. And the thing, the thing about this neighborhood that, you know, just talking about people and people's proclivities and how people talk about New York and retail and retail stores, there's this idea, and I don't know if you want to use this in the pod, but, um, this idea that there's a shopping street or a shopping block and there's an eating block. And I've heard this from multiple parties. I heard it from our brokers. I've heard it elsewhere. And that reflects a reality that's long gone. And a lot of the future of retail is around integrated experiences where, you know, you're going to one area that you can have the full experience in our part of Mulberry streets like that. It's like, you can get a good meal, good cup of coffee, you get a drink after work and it's always lively because there's always something going on. And a lot of the classic shopping streets we looked at, they're just like dead. There's like stores, nothing else happening. Yeah. Or a pedestrian highway. And it's yeah. Pedestrian super highway, like broom where we looked at some spots on broom where it's like, this is awful. It's like, yeah, it's just like people moving very quickly and they're not, stopping or strolling they're just like get me from point a to point b and one test we can't one sort of like thought experiment we came up with was okay 7 p.m we just locked up and we're going to grab a beer how far are we going to grab a beer and the first spot we looked at we're like fuck where are we going to go from here like the one we almost signed we're like we're walking back to where we're looking at this other space anyway or we're going to la mercier but we also don't have a budget for $20 beers. Well, on the other side, it sounds like you're, you really want to be integrated with the community and be a part of New York, not just like selling to New York. So that's really exciting to, to hear from two business owners is that you're thinking about the community alongside your business. And I think that's what makes Standard and Strange uh, just one of those stores that, you know, and companies that people really enjoy. And like you said, the, the loyalty and what you've been doing with your customers has been great. And you know, just I just wish you guys uh, more continued success and more adventures to be had in New York City. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. We're going to have a lot of fun out here. We really oh, are. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. If you don't, guys don't mind, I just want to ask one more question as a, as a business owner myself. How do you guys deal with uh, conflict that arises between the two of you? Do you have a, a, a technique that you can share for people who have business partners uh, 
if the tension's building and you feel like something's not quite right between you, how do you address that? Do you, is it like, okay, we have to have one of our talks. Is it that we're going to, we have a special place where we go and have a drink together when we know we have to have a serious conversation. Do you have a technique that you can share with us? So we do this crazy thing. Now just hold, hold on. This is going to be a very technical explanation. We sit down and we have a reasonable adult discussion about it. Yeah, it the the longer version of that is it's kind of like a marriage. Uh it's really built on this foundation of like respect, trust, communication, but also compromise. And we have disagreements all the time about things. And if you can if you have the respect for each other and the trust for each other to be able to communicate about you know about these things then you can find a way to work through it and ultimately ends up with just you have to compromise there's all kinds of compromises you have to make from simple things to to big picture things and but it wouldn't be possible if we didn't have that respect and trust for each other the other part of this is we don't let the we don't let tensions build up or faster. We just like if there's an issue, we talk it out as soon as possible and figure it out because part of our success is we don't have time for bullshit. We have to be on point and moving quickly and can't get derailed by interpersonal nonsense. It's like there is a job, to, there are jobs to be done and they have to be done, you know, not hastily, but they do have to be done steadily and you know, quickly and efficiently. And you can't, there's no time for bullshit in there. The adult conversation uh, may be a lost art. So we, we appreciate hearing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it, it's like, there's like one thing I've learned is that there's no shortcuts to building a relationship or building a business or really building anything to do it in the really right, sustainable, like long-term way. There's just no shortcuts to it. You have to put in the hard work and do things that are truly excellent. You know, people ask me all the time, I'm like, oh, do you have any tips for growing my business? I'm like, I, it's it's just a lot of grind. It's a lot of perseverance. It's a lot of creativity. And you got to be on your quick on your feet. And you just have to keep at it. Like, there's no... Like, like all some of the things that we've wanted to do, like getting into content marketing, which is really just like a damn good blog post about one of our products or one of our brands and really explaining and sharing like why they're special. That takes a lot of work. It's really hard to make a blog post that someone wants to sit down and read for 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, you can't just like put in the right images and have the right headline and just people will come and read it. Like, they have to have a reason to spend their precious time with it. And there's no shortcuts to that. You just have to do a damn good job of it. And it's hard work. Well, that's a big focus of, of in when you talk about mindfulness is always being aware of what you're doing and why. And there's no, that means no, not wasting time. It also means when you're communicating, you have to say something. You actually have to consider and respect the time of the people that you're that you're talking to. So we really respect and appreciate the time you've given us. I'm sure on this on this uh, evening tonight, we really are excited for the store. I can't wait to uh, to get down there, Adam. I can't wait to have you come in from Pittsburgh 
to spend a couple of days. And uh, we just want to also thank you for supporting the podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, spreading the good word. And uh, it's we're hoping to grow together. And for you guys to uh, help us in, in serving and helping the, the community of people who tune in and hear us. And we're certainly going to be excited to tell people to come and check out the new stores the new store and the old stores and and get to know you guys because you're you're really two special gentlemen we wish you the best of everything oh, thanks albert we love your podcast and everything that you and adam great. do it's an excellent pod yeah. and man let's do a vvv meetup we should and we should do another pod because man we got some we have like two hours more material we prepared yeah all the notes we made <laughs> we didn't talk about any of it <laughs> You guys stay prepared, and I'm I totally up for, for, sure. for you guys coming back at multiple times. And, and we're just uh, we're we're knowing that our listeners have that period of time that they like to listen, and then we start losing them. So we're going to save the juicy stuff for the next time, and it's going to be a long relationship. You're you're going to be in New York for decades, decades ahead. I'm really psyched for you guys. Thank you, Adam. Anything? Anything else? Yeah, this has been a whole lot of fun. Uh, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure meeting you officially for the first time. And Likewise. Neil, it's great seeing you again and uh, hearing all the great news. Can't wait to come to the store myself. Uh, it's going to be a great New York adventure. So I'm really looking forward to it and uh, seeing you in person. So thanks again for coming on the show. This has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. I'm Neil Barrett. I'm Jeremy Smith. Thank you for listening.